Hey everyone, this is Marcus Leto, the father of the Master Chief and co-creator of the Halo universe, and you're listening to Hawaii's number one podcast, the Casanova Podcast. Welcome everyone to another episode, the first episode of 20, what year is this? 2023. 23. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say 2022, but uh, off to a episode, great start. <laughs> we definitely are. Um, so, yeah, I was, about to say, I was saying something. Yeah, 2023, new year. And uh, we got a very, very special guest coming straight from Japan, the one and only Avalanche, Jared. Jared, how you doing? Hello there. <laughs> Dude, I love that. Is that a clock? The Buster Sword behind me? Yeah. Yeah. So they have in Akihabara, they have this like Final Fantasy, like a Square Enix cafe. And my wife goes in there every like two weeks to see what kind of new stuff they have. And then they found this and she's like, ah, I kind of want it. I was like, yeah, you got to treat yourself, right? You got to get a Buster Sword clock every once in a while. <laughs> Dude, that is dope. But yeah, that's cool. Uh, I like it a lot. I just gotta find a good spot for it. Yeah, let's let's talk about it, man. Like last time I I, I had you on the show, you were in Florida mm. and you were in the works of going to Japan. And now you're there. Yeah. So I did how it. has how has that whole process been? Uh strange. It's been weird. It was, it's it's cool, but everything's new and different now. It's kind of fun. Me and uh, me and the wife joined a Japanese language school, and that's how we're getting our visa, uh, at least for the next. We've been here almost, I mean, like, coming up on a year, like nine months, you know, close enough. And for another year and three months, we can do a visa learning Japanese. And then from there, we're going to have to figure something out. <laughs> so, like, what's the... I guess the daily, like day to day experience, like there. It's super like as fun as you would think it would be living in Japan. Honestly, it's amazing. <laughs> it's just it's killer food. Um, we 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 lucked out super hard. We found the most just picturesque neighborhood to live in. It's very uh, residential, so it's it's in Nakano, which is like a like a, it's a part of Tokyo. But uh, the part of Nakano we're in is very just residential and quiet, low-key, you know what I mean? It's kind of far away from the hustle and bustle, so I'm able to do my voiceovers and stuff without having, you know, sirens in the background and stuff. Uh, it's just a beautiful neighborhood. We lucked out and got a wonderful house here. Um, we came while the COVID restrictions were still going on, and mm -hmm. nobody wanted to, like, go anywhere or do anything, so houses were just on the market all over the place, and we just happen to luck into one hopefully that same thing happens when we had to re-sign that two-year contract coming up in a year <laughs> wow <clears throat> nine months it's pretty dope it. though man it's pretty cool so as far as food talk to me which what, what you be needing ah, just it's non-stop <laughs> good food constant as a matter of fact so before i came on to do this i uh we went to the gym one neighborhood over and we ate at a curry house it's called my curry and they have just the best amazing tonkatsu and they have this like tomato curry it's like like tomato soup but more savory 
and a little more like rich and in, in spices and stuff just delicious stuff uh, i mean you know the problem is i gained a lot of weight since i've been here so it's it, it's kind of an issue so i'm trying to eat a little better but it's it's hard to because in my neighborhood six minutes from my front door i could walk to one of the best ramen places i've ever eaten at before or that place my curry that i just ate at a second ago and I could spend 600 yen, so roughly five bucks, for a bowl of ramen that is just incredible and get a little side of like shahan, some fried rice. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I spend less than $10 on a meal and I get delicious food and I have to actively try not to do that every day or I'm going to get obese. <laughs> it sounds it's like cool. <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, so from the last time you were on here, uh, so we moved out of our house into a condo in Waikiki mm. and mm. dude, there's so many spots and because we're local, we get the local discount and I Ooh. swear to God, like we got the ramen shop, we got the burger shop, we got the Hispanic food right there. Like everything mm. is right here. And I'm just like, no, no. <laughs> Today. <laughs> Wait, so is, is the local discount because it's Hawaii and, and like a lot of people are tourists? Is that is that why? Yeah. 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 You get the uh, mm, come on. That makes sense. Already. Okay. So so it's, mm. it's crazy, man. Like I, I like it here. Um, so, so we're on the 10th floor of this condo. So I don't hear my neighbors. I barely hear any traffic. Ooh. So compared to like where we're, we were, where I would always hear like street traffic or I would hear this the neighbors party and stuff like, dude, I don't hear anything at all. And I'm like, it, right. it, 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 it kind of yeah, trips me killer. out at times, but I'm like, yeah, I love it for what it is. Mm. Only thing is it's smaller than the house. I've it's seen bad. it on Twitter too. You got a dope view. Oh man. It's, it's gorgeous. It's just smaller. So it's like a mm. lot of stuff. Like we're still trying to figure mm. out, where to put stuff and for like the bedroom like so the bedroom slash computer room it's all like here so which is funny because i get people mm. my youtube videos like they'll shit on me for like oh you need to get you know stop recording out of your basement i'm like i don't have a basement <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean like i'm it's a similar situation here it, you know it's it's tokyo so space is at a premium and uh you the last time we talked i was actually recording out of my garage that i had retrofitted into a room and, and insulated and ran ac ducting and stuff but uh now i have a very i mean the room that you're looking at here you're seeing like three quarters of it right now it's very small but uh yeah it's just it's space optimization man I've, we had to get rid of so much stuff to move here and I could see why people would become minimalist because if you, I, I hate that I have so many knickknacks in my drawers right now. I'm trying to get, just throw stuff away <laughs> at this point. But, you know, I mean, like you, you obviously know you start to, when you do YouTube or content creation as a whole, you just get tech and it just, you acquire, yeah. I have graphics cards in my closet. You know what I mean? Audio interfaces. Like I've got two right here. I have my wife's microphone in here, you know, XLR cables. Like, I am flush with dumb stuff I don't need, and it's that's the curse of doing this. It's like if you get into it, you're, you're like an enthusiast. When it's something new that's interesting that could help your workflow comes out, you're not going to throw away the old one. You know what I mean? No. <laughs> 
Yeah, like, it, it, and a lot of people don't understand that. They're like, they're like, oh, well, you know, it, it's it's not that bad. I'm like, no, I've got this audio interface. My wife has hers right here. We just got the, mm-hmm. uh, well, a couple months ago, we got the Rode Procaster 2, which we have set up. We mm-hmm. had a dual mic set up because her and I, we do a podcast to do, uh, together. And it's like, I've got this, one of my old, I think I got the GoXLR Mini. I still have that, and I still have a couple dynamic microphones i'm like i just i need to start doing giveaways just like give some of this shit away yeah <laughs> but here's the problem the second you get rid of it is the moment that you'll need it you, you, you could it. just set your yeah. watch it's going to be 12 hours as soon as you get rid of it you would be like oh i need to do shit <laughs> I, I got this um what is it retro fighters they sent me this uh gamecube controller that works with the mm. switch and pc and I'm like, yeah, I want to do a review on it. I'm like, fuck, where's my GameCube? Is it here? Is it in storage? <laughs> like, because mm. it's like I, I, you know, and I, I, I just don't remember. And that's so, one of the things I'm kind of running into lately is just like I feel like my memory's going to shit because I don't know if it's okay. Not in the sense of dementia, or anything like that, but I mm. think more so in the sense of like lack of sleep and my toddler. Every time yeah. I turn around, I'm like, "That'll do alive? it." Are you alive? Mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> Where are you getting into? No. Like I, I feel yeah. like my automatic response to everything at this point right now is no, because my toddler. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that'll do it. Honestly, you're making it more attractive. Me not having a kid so far, so that's good. <laughs> Keep going. Oh man. So, um, so aside from Moon Japan and. Uh, as far as like uh gaming goes i know uh Callisto protocol came out you reviewed that you've been playing dead space mm. remake uh yeah what are your thoughts because i know you you were one of the few people to like Callisto protocol aside from like mm. myself why well, I, I at the very least i liked it as much as i didn't like it which i think is okay enough for me <laughs> that definitely gets it by <laughs> Um, so, as far as, as Dead Space goes, though, the remake, yeah, how, how are you liking it so far? I honestly, I was very skeptical. Um, I'm a big proponent of when you remake something, keeping it uh accurate to the source material. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I heard about a lot of the changes. Isaac does talk now, which I thought would be weirder than it is, but it, it, it's not hitting me in any kind of way that's making me feel like, oh, this is inauthentic. Um, mm-hmm. It's different, but it's not something that you're going to focus on the entire time. Uh, yeah. You know, it's 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 a gorgeous-looking game. I have some complaints on PC optimization, but, you know, if it's a day ending in Y, I'm going to have complaints about that. It's not the worst <laughs> thing in the world. Um, there are a few, like, objective problems. Uh, like, variable rate shading is, is constantly turned on on PC, and you can't turn it off, and it... It ends up uh, making textures look muddy if you have to use DLSS, and you probably have to use DLSS if you're running at 4K. Yeah. I think I, I I I got through like three hours of the game at 4K, and it's playable, but there's like little micro stutters that you walk into a room and you can feel the frame rate go down. And I think I honestly might just drop it down to 1440p, start over again to capture all my footage, and just do my review in 1440p. I think that's probably the way to go right now, which kills me because I have a, a 3080 Ti. I shouldn't have to do that. You know, sometimes ends the brakes. Well, 
and, and that brings up like the greater discussion of like what's going on with PC optimization with the games that are coming out because it's kind of ridiculous. These games are just coming out either completely broken on PC at launch, or you know they've got to push out an ass ton of updates within the first two days just to get it running it somewhat optimally. Because I know like. Uh, What's the game that came out? Uh, Forspoken. Like I have it. They uh, Square Enix gave mm-hmm. me a PS5 and PC copy, but it was weird. They mm-hmm. wouldn't give out a PC copy for that game at all before release, and I'm like, that's not a good sign at all mm-hmm. to me. But what do you think is going on? Like, are they just not focusing on PC, or I think it's a combination of two factors. I think they're optimizing for console. I think PC is the, the uh, foundation for building the game. But as far as when you go into tweak um, performance, they are targeting 4K 30-ish on console, I would assume, is, is what's happening here. Because uh, with PC, even though I have, you know, sitting to my right, something that could run four simultaneous instances of a PS5 game, uh, I, I have issues running dead space at 4k and the reason why is because the experience was optimized for the ps5 and there's you hit a point of diminishing returns with how much resources you have versus how much gains you can get graphically once you go above a certain point your computer is working much much harder to do not as much so that's one of the problems is they are optimized without a doubt they're optimizing for modern consoles which does suck, but there is a second problem, and it's DLSS, which is like, imagine you had to go through physical therapy to learn how to walk again after a brutal car accident, but you had like the best motorized wheelchair in the world at your disposal, and everything around you is wheelchair accessible. How much effort would you put into learning how how to walk again? That's what DLSS is for uh, PC game developers. They, they're they not targeting current available hardware for their performance. They're saying, well, no, this can't hit 4K60, but with DLSS, it can hit 4K70, which which is fine. But DLSS is, is a sort of, it's a deep learning algorithm that essentially takes everything you're looking at and dynamically adjusts the internal render resolution of the game as it runs into scenarios where more processing power is required, right? So you're seeing the game sort of dynamically adjust itself as far as its internal render render resolution compared to how what you're trying to push. And that's a good idea in theory, but in reality, uh, what you end up seeing is just very low-res, blurry textures, and in scenes where you would want to see the most fidelity, which are like the the most graphically intensive areas, you will notice things look worse. And because developers have access to this technology, they don't necessarily have to go in and optimize a scene. Hey, we'll just let DLSS take care of it. And for people like me, for you know, when you're gaming on PC, your monitor is like a foot or two away from your face. You know, it's it's not far. So when you're playing at 4K details are very easy to point out especially when you're so close to a, a 4k monitor and if you're using dlss and you're gaming at 4k you know you're using dlss either that or you think you're playing something from 2009 because of how blurry and nasty it looks 
So yeah, it's 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 a, it's a combination of developers wanting to target the console experience, which is odd because PS5 and Xbox Series X sales are not phenomenal. You know, they haven't they don't have the kind of saturation that gaming PCs do right now. I imagine more people have 3070s than have PS5s or Series Xs, right? I don't know why that's the case, but any, you know, when Callisto Protocol came out, it was the same thing. People on PS5 are like, it's stable as hell for me. And I'm over here playing it at the same resolution on a machine that could beat the hell out of a PS5 and it's dying on me. Yeah, so I don't know. It's it's a strange situation, but it's like they have that crutch there and it's going to be real hard to tell people working in the games industry. It's like, no, you got to put in the extra hours. You can't use the DLSS is not an excuse. If your game is not well optimized, it's not well optimized. You're doing a bad job. Yeah. And, and I just wish companies now, like, you know, if the PC port, if it needs extra time, I understand like they want to push it out same, you know, day and day with consoles. But if it's going to be a broken mess, delay the pc launch like it, it yeah, that makes i think way that's more fair sense. it really is mm -hmm. it, it's it, it just doesn't make sense to push out just so we can be like oh yeah we got it out day and day yeah but you know word of mouth for a lot of these games if it does very bad on pc same with console a lot of people don't go back mm -hmm. to look they just think oh yeah it's shit yeah. on pc i'm not gonna play it i'm not gonna buy it mm -hmm. yeah so, I mean, let's think about it this way. You're a YouTuber and you have an option between making one of two videos, a Callisto Protocol review or a Callisto Protocol. It's been nine days. Here's what the update's like. Which one do you think you're going to make? You know, it's the re the review for the fucking day one copy that you downloaded. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, you're not going to get press on improving your game. You're only going to get press on putting out a, a polished, finished product. Mm-hmm. But uh, that Death Space remake, uh, so far, so I have it on PC. And mm -hmm. I was like you, like, I, I was concerned because, you know, we're, we're I want to say it's strange that we're in this era of just constant remakes. Everything is getting remade every time you turn around. But, mm. man, they did, Motive did a really good job with this. Like, I, I'm really. I think so. I'm really surprised. And like you, I thought. Isaac talking would throw me off, but it doesn't. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. Okay. And, and you know what I've noticed is they were very careful. This is how I explained it. I was, I was streaming it today. Every section of the game feels very accurate to the original, but just with the detail cranked to 12, you know, like. The first section where you walk out of the door and the part of the ship's been blown up and you're out in the open space and your your air is like you have your you have to use your built-in oxygen. That scene is still really cool, very atmospheric. The sound goes all muffled and like you can't hear anything. But there's just more detail. There's things, more debris floating around on screen. There's sparks that are skipping around and there's a wheelchair that when you walk past it, you know, it has realistic physics and moves and stuff. It's Everything that was in the first game with the detail cranked up. And honestly, I don't think you can really ask for much more in a remake, although Dead Space does give you more than that. They they alter very small and not insignificant things, but again, in that same section where you have to go out into space, uh, instead, when you come back, instead of taking the same route back and then getting jumped by one of those uh, necromorphs, there's a section where you have to 
go up and like across and and get across like a uh like a barrier that's in your way and just little tiny stuff like that i think is really good to do in a remake here's something for the people who know this game backwards and forwards and then the rest of this is like it's eye candy it looks gorgeous it's going to be the same great story right so when you're remaking something, I think that's the proper mindset. How can we make this as accurate to the original as humanly possible while still adding enough new content that people who have played this game 10 times, 20 times before have something new to check out? And I think they struck that that balance almost perfectly. So far, I haven't beaten it yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. Like, I'm, I, I think I'm like halfway through it, and hopefully to day if not monday i should be done with it so i can start working on my review of it but yeah they 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 nailed that the perfect balance and it makes me wonder how mm. konami and capcom are going to do with their remakes of you know silent hill 2 mm. and resident evil 4 i have it i don't know if it's, it's a bias but i do have higher expect higher not expectations but higher higher confidence in Capcom of doing well with Resident Evil 4 remake than I do with Konami with Silent Hill 2 remake. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would have to be crazy not to feel that way. Here's the problem, and this is something that I think... Uh, I, I think people are either incredibly way younger than me or uh, their memory is not as good as mine because I remember the last time Konami... Uh, announced three Silent Hill properties all at once, or four Silent Hill properties all at once, and it was it was when Silent Hill Revelation and Downpour and Book of Lost Memories came out, and it's like, I, I mean, it's hard not to see that they're repeating certain cycles. Uh, you know, the Silent Hill Two remake. I'm interested to play it, but I think there's a reason for you feeling that way, and I feel that way too is with Capcom, you're remaking an action game that allows you to spin kick, you know, Ganados and, and, and suplex them after you shoot them in the head once. It's an infinitely easier job to recreate the experience of RE4 than it is to accurately recreate the story of Silent Hill 2 because it's a story that to this day, people who work on Silent Hill games still don't understand. They still don't get, which is why you see Pyramid Head show up outside of James Sunderland's personal hell. It's 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 a deeply personal, deeply like sad and, and, and just torture filled story. And I trust someone to remake a game that has, you know, a parasite suplexing more than I do somebody who's going to accurately rewrite a story that is so deeply personal to so many people. I mean, you just I mean Bloober team just they're not going to succeed at this. And it's not because I don't have faith in them. I I liked a few of their projects, but I mean, going off of what we know right now, and that's Western developers do not understand Silent Hill lore. If these were the first Western developers to understand it, I, I would be so thrilled for that to be the case. But it's not going to be. So there's no point in thinking that way. A lot, you know, it's interesting is a lot of the uh, former Western developers for the failed recent Silent Hills that came out. When I say recent, I'm talking like, for those who the uninitiated, recent for Silent Hill is not like recent at all. But recent, you you understand what I mean? Yeah, like 2012 or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, they're very defensive on Twitter. 
you know like if you, you mention anything like they they uh mm. I, I think you know who i'm talking about <laughs> let's see uh but yeah A certain they, they, tom hewlett will call him <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> very very defensive uh, which by the way by the way just in case he's incredibly nice to me he's so he's nicer than he should be to me because me and him argue in dms sometimes and and we do disagree on a lot of stuff but uh, some, somebody will be like, yeah, the HD collection was garbage. And I'll be like, it was Konami's fault. And then someone will be like, well, in this interview, you said you were in charge of the entire project. And, the, and like you decided everything that happened with it. Yeah, well, that's not how it was. And it's like, well, who do I trust you now or, you know, a year <laughs> before the game came out? Who has more? Because Konami's not saying they don't care. They, they don't give a damn. They're not responding to people about Silent Hill. So, like, who's the person who stands to benefit the most from lying about something? The guy who's being criticized for being, you know, received poorly. I don't know. That's a whole thing we don't need to get into because we could spend another four hours and I would get through half of my arguments with that. <laughs> no, it's like, because I, I, I had him on my podcast last year and we were talking about the game he was working on, Spidosaurus, mm. which is, like, mm. uh, if you enjoy Contra... That, you know it's it's way forward's take on a contra the contra format but like one of the things mm. like way forward told me like straight up before i could even do the interview it's like you can't talk silent hill like no questions to tom wow. about silent hill and i'm like wow okay As, you know have you noticed this like and the audience may not get it but like being on the content creator side you know the stuff we see when we deal with companies mm. is amazing. Like the amount of red tape that they want to put up for just about anything mm. is interesting to me. And I, in many yeah. ways I get it, but it's like, if, if you, you know, think to, game... to be honest though, if, if I'm going to, you know, in Tom's defense, if I was him, I would be so tired of hearing about Silent Hill. I mean, in, he really genuinely did. He was attacked uh, by a lot of people. Uh, you know, people who really and truly weren't even huge Silent Hill fans, but instead were just, you know, like people who played the HD collection, and then they remember playing Silent Hill 2 a, a long time ago, and then the HD collection obviously is not very good. So they're just like, yeah, Tom Hewlett, what a fucking idiot. And it's like... I mean, yeah, okay, your, your heart's in the right place, but then they're coming straight at Tom Hewlett as opposed to saying, like, well, here is a technical analysis of the things that were done wrong in the game. And then that's all that needs to be said. This was this was a poor job that was executed poorly. And to be fair, again to him, Konami did also mismanage the project. Project, You know, they're like, oh, well, here's the source code. We, we sort of lost it, uh, you know, 75% of the way through the creation of Silent Hill 2, so you have to fix bugs that were already fixed by retail. So that makes it seem like, oh, well, I mean, you, you can't blame Tom for that. But you can't blame Tom for not reverse engineering uh, available PC ports and fixing those bugs because they would be more finished than buggy source code. So there were bad decisions made on both ends. And I think neither party, both Konami and Tom Hewlett, quite understood how to do an HD remaster. Because Tom never worked on an HD remaster, and he hasn't since, and thank God that he hasn't. But people were mean to him instead of being like, "Oh, well, he, I, I criticize your work." Instead, they were criticizing Tom, and it was it was inappropriate. A lot of stuff that happened to him, and you know, it's like 
I get why he would say no, no Silent Hill, because if I was Tom Hewlett, I would also be saying you can't talk to me about Silent Hill anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like when I got that from them, I was like, OK, OK, we'll just talk about spider sores and Contra. And then because it was like, yeah, no, nothing Konami at all. But then like when he brought up like Contra 4 because he worked on that. Mm. And I was like, oh. Okay, and he's like, "Oh yeah, my time at Konami," and I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta hold it in." <laughs> oh god, no! But he he is. He's a very nice guy. He's very cool. Mm-hmm. He's, he's always negative. been really nice to me. Yeah, so like I, really nothing negative to say about him. But like, yeah, that mm-hmm. that also that the the yeah, Western developers in Silent Hill. You, you're definitely right. Pyramid Head should not be showing up outside of James. Uh, since we, oh God, like, dude, I feel like since we had like a long conversation, it's it's definitely been a year or so. So since that conversation, I have completed Silent Hill one, all the way up to Downpour. Nice. They're only, in my opinion, in my opinion, mm. my humble, unbiased, biased opinion, it's only four canon. Silent Hill games. I'm not counting anything after. Okay, Origins tried some unique stuff, but it's just again, why does it need to be? Why did that need to connect to Harry Mason? It's just Mm. you know, no, well not Harry Mason, but like Silent Hill one. It 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 just it doesn't flow into it right. No, it doesn't. But that's what happens when you have. another artist touch your work and especially someone who doesn't understand your work. You know, we could go into this forever. I'm actually, it's funny. You're talking about that for the last month. Uh, you, you know, you said like, Oh yeah, I played through all the silent Hill game. I just this month did that every single silent Hill game, but here's the only difference. I played through every single available port for every silent Hill game ever made. Uh, the ones that have ports available and the ones that didn't like, let's say the PS one original, Played it on PS3. Played it on the Mister on the PSX core. So I, I, you know, I'm, the idea is I'm working on a video of because I get so often people say I want to play the Silent Hill games. Where should I start? Well, I heard this version was bad. Should I go with this console? Because you know, two and three were available on. You could get you know two on the Xbox, the PC, the PS2. You can get three on PC, PS2, PS3, Xbox 360. You know, there's a lot of options. So. I wanted to make just a single source of information for people who would want to play the Silent Hill series. And I will, I like how you're saying there's only four canon Silent Hill games, but might I up you one and say there's only three canon Silent Hill games? <laughs> the room started out as Room 302. It was its own indivi- like individual horror project. And it was Akira Yamaoka trying to break out of his producing role and kind of create something. And then Konami stepped in and said, we're not going going to fund this unless it's a Silent Hill project. And then at some point after the game was already in development and what I would assume, given how slapdash the story is, probably far into development, uh, they decided to add like, oh, uh, James Sunderland's dad is the superintendent for the apartment uh, that Room 302 is in. And um, yeah, it turns out this is just a a failed uh, attempt at birthing uh the cult's god and dahlia's attempt is it's a totally different thing 
it, it kind of smells like someone came in and said, where can we fill some holes in? Uh, you know, that being said, though, it's a it's a cool story. It's like it's it's interesting as hell. And it's super it's wacky like Silent Hill is. It's not very what's the word like traditional with the way that it, it goes about telling stuff. And it doesn't do things in a very common like and the hero save the day type of way. So it is very cool. I just feel like um, I, I wouldn't call someone who had uh, patchwork put together parts of like a DeLorean and a 2006 Honda Civic, but they made a fiberglass body that looks like a Corvette. I wouldn't call that part of the Corvette line, and that's how I feel about the room. <laughs> that's terrible. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> oh, okay, you got to keep one, the room or origins. Which would you keep? You, oh, okay, no, you, you throw them both out. <laughs> no, 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 no. Here's the thing. I, I enjoy the gameplay in Origins. I like the story for the room much better. But the gameplay in the room with your on-screen HP bar and a charge meter for your attacks, it just it's not very Silent Hill. And then the second half of the room is essentially a very long escort quest. And then, yeah. like, there's a lot of stuff. For example, in, in the room, uh, for people who don't know, you can heal yourself by going back to your apartment. And there's little portals dotted all around every area that you go to that get you back to your apartment. But every time you go back to your apartment, let's say you want to change your items out, because it's the only Silent Hill game with a limited inventory, you would have to return to your apartment, which, and then you would have to skip the cutscene of you waking up in your bed. Then you have to wait through a loading screen to get out of your bedroom. Then you have to go to your item chest. Then you have to change out your items, stand around, and let your HP gradually heal go through a loading screen to go to the bathroom, go through a loading screen to go through the hole to get back to where you are, and then load back into your area. And you have to do that several times per area. <laughs> it's a nightmare. Whereas Origins, it's very different from... You have breakable items, uh, melee weapons. That's not fun. But you do have uh, an other world that you can go to anytime you want in order to complete puzzles and to explore more. It's, it's, it's a give and take. And I think Origins provides the more classic silent hill gameplay compared to the room but to be fair neither of them do that it's just if you have to compare those two together i might i might be more inclined to play origins than i would the room but if i was listening to like a story analysis the room all day yeah okay <clears throat> so so as far as like that project that you're working on how far along would you say you mm. are right now I'm coming I'm coming up on the tail end of it. So far it's been the longest single video I've ever made by double. So I think it's going to end up being like double. two and a half, two hours and 40 minutes. The, but it's, you know, when I put all my videos together into like a seven hour Resident Evil video, those are all like 45 minute reviews, an hour long, whatever, right? This is uh, the longest single video project I've ever released. So that'll be fun. Are you stressed? Uh, sort of yes and sort of no. So, um, uh, last month ish, what day, what day is today? Yeah. Like, so this month, essentially my mom came to Tokyo to visit us and it was her first time in Japan. So I, I figured I'm not going to work on anything. We're just going to have just an awesome time. And we ended up doing just that. We had a great time. She was here for almost two weeks. We went to Fuji. We went to Asakusa and dressed up in kimono and like, we showed her all the good restaurants. We went to this really cool amusement park called uh, Yomi Uriland. Uh, there's a bunch. We did a bunch of cool stuff, and I didn't touch YouTube. I didn't respond to comments. I didn't do anything. 
And like, you know, as a content creator, you know, the algorithm just going to chew you up and spit you out after two and a half weeks of not doing anything on your channel. And, you know, lucky enough, my channel's not died yet. And, you know, when I live stream, I still have an audience that comes out to watch and it's, it's pretty cool. So I was stressed at first, but now that I see that my channel isn't going to like wither on the vine immediately, as soon as I stop doing work, I was like, you know what, instead of stressing and trying to get this video out fast, why don't I just try to make sure it's a good video? So I've been really working my ass off. The editing process has been a nightmare because I'm working with really high bitrate captures because I want to zoom in on stuff to show details. And uh, it's, you know, it's a 4K video because I'm covering PC ports and I wanted to play them at the highest resolution I could. So it, it's it's something that I did to myself, but um, I think it's going to be worth it when it comes out because people are going to enjoy uh, the more like in-depth. I do a lot of like frame rate comparison, like, okay, so the PS2 version of Shattered Memories runs at a higher average frame rate than the Wii version, but transitions are faster on the Wii, you know, stuff like that I think people might yeah. get into they're like weird techie nerds like me so what are you using to edit uh davinci resolve or premiere yes i i made that switch around when when the last time we first talked i was starting to learn davinci resolve and use it and uh, it's been my go-to now for like a year now i got the little uh, uh speed editor when i bought the full version mm. this thing is cool as hell man it's it's got like a little uh, dial, like a little. Oh fuck! I brought up DaVinci Resolve. <laughs> um, it's got like a little dial on it that you can use to move around and skip through footage. So you know when you're like scrubbing through footage to find a mm. gameplay part that you're talking about, this thing is killer. It's awesome. Yeah, but Resolve is is really good, and it's. Uh, I don't think I could have worked on 4K footage when I used to use Vegas. I don't think it it would have done as well. Yeah, like I, I've got some friends that are telling me like I need to switch over to Resolve and stop using Premiere. Oh, I'm like, it's that good. Resolve is is amazing. Now, to be fair, I haven't used Premiere, but I have heard um, it's Resolve is different from what I've heard, but it's not as different as going from Vegas to Resolve. So you'll be able to learn little idiosyncrasies, but it's like uh, Premiere in the sense that it's a, a nonlinear editor. But um, it's it's an incredibly powerful free video editor, by the way. You don't have to pay for the full version if you don't want to. I mean, it, it, I wouldn't have done it if I wouldn't have gotten the speed editor for free. But uh, it's it's very, um, oh, what's the word, like efficient with a lot of the stuff that I could do. Uh, you know, I use a lot of 4 by 3 footage. And it, won't, it won't cover the entire screen. There'll be black bars on the left yeah. and right. And it just, I, I have a drag and drop filter I could throw on there and then get rid of that so that I mirror what's behind it and then blur it and have a shadow cast of the original footage. You know, the the, the typical look you see on 4x3 footage in, in YouTube videos nowadays. And with Resolve, I can just drop that onto an adjustment layer above all my clips and everything below that adjustment layer has that effect applied to it. And I can still edit the individual stuff below it and not have it affect, you know, anything else. It's, it's very cool. It's hard to explain, but... It's a cool little program, and I'll tell you the best part about it. And since you use Premiere, I'm not sure how much of an issue this is, but for anyone who uses a linear editor like Vegas, it's it's Crash City. It's like every project is not if it's going to crash, it's when. You know, when I was using Vegas, it was just nonstop. I, if I went to a project with two crashes where I lost stuff, 
I was like, wow, that was, that was amazing. I have had DaVinci Resolve crash on me three times ever, like ever in almost like no joke. I swear to Christ, maybe, maybe three times. And I, I'm, I'm trying to be conservative here. It's there's a chance it was two. <laughs> like it is, it is so stable with now the downside is it is not as uh, it, it demands more resources to work. Mm -hmm. So um, it's very hard on your GPU on your timeline. So it uses, it, it takes advantage of your GPU a lot to scrub your timeline. But if you have a good GPU, then that's a benefit, you know, it's good though. I like it a lot. I, I have people, uh, I have like friends who do YouTube uh, with like lower end hardware, like they edit on a laptop or something, not like a gaming laptop or anything. And they're able to use DaVinci, no problem. Hey, cause I know it's um, premiere. For me, it's like anytime I use it, it's when is this gonna crash? Oh, I mm -hmm. made this cut. Yeah. Save Control S. Control yeah. S. <laughs> like every single thing I do, Control S. Cause uh, mm -hmm. yeah, okay. So I, I I might have to tinker with that this weekend. Cause yeah, it, it the price increases for uh, Adobe's just sweet. It's just getting ridiculous. And I'm at a point. I'm very mm -hmm. simple with my editing. Like I just need. Photoshop or a Photoshop alternative and a video editor. I don't, I know my wife, she uses like right. all the more advanced, like uh, After Effects and all that. So like it mm. pays out having it. But for me, I think I'm, I'm fine with just the basics. I'm not doing anything yeah. fancy. Like I've seen some of the stuff a lot of these other YouTubers do. And I'm like, all that, like the jump cuts, the zoom ins, all that stuff. Like, mm. I don't know. Like, I feel like that's a whole different generation than ours. They're just like able to pick up on yeah, doing that quickly. Yeah, for like, sure. Me, bro, when I look at that stuff, I'm like, how do you have the time to do that? And then you find out they have a whole team. So I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm in, I'm the same way. I've, I've never had an editor and I don't think I, I probably ever will. Cause I like editing and it's, you know, it's, it's part of how you, you give your videos, you know, you, you know what I mean? Like when people watch your stuff, they get, uh, you know, that dosage of your personality. If you're saying something, the stuff you're showing on screen while you're saying it, I think kind of like people subconsciously pick up on that. And I think that's kind of a part, you know, your little digital fingerprint. And I would hate to give that up to someone else. Yeah, Resolve is, is good though, man. You know what I would do if I were you? Uh, this is what I did is as I was releasing content, my normal stuff, I had a project that I was working on just, mm -hmm. you know, here and there. And I would have that project in Resolve. And I essentially would take all the stuff that I used to do in Vegas and then try to find whatever the Resolve analog to that was. And, you know, it took me probably where like I would normally finish a video in a week and a half. It took me like two and a half months. But, you know, that's just because on the side I was doing my normal YouTube stuff. And then on the side, I'm, I'm learning, you know, you go to YouTube and type in DaVinci Resolve how to do X. And, you know, you spend two and a half hours trying to figure that out. And you've you've edited a full minute on the timeline or whatever. <laughs> but when, once you do that, you'll have that project finished and done. And then you, you'll be able to go through the rest of your workload because I'm also not very complex with my editing. I'm not very like my transitions are just, you know, I'll use like a cross dissolve and it's as fancy as I get, you know. <laughs> Uh, there's, there's cool stuff you could do with resolve for sure. And then the fact that it's free, it's like, you might as well just have it installed. And 
yeah. once, twice a week, you, you, you turn it on and you have your, your dissolve project that you're messing around with. And then when you finally finish that, you'll know everything you need to know to just have that be your, you know, every, your daily driver. So as far as like, uh, so talking about YouTube on the content creator side, what is your thoughts on this shift towards mm. shorts? You know, like did, did your channel take a hit <laughs> revenue wise when they were like making the changes to implement shorts, uh, back in November? Hard. Dude, they fucked my channel hard. Hard hit. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. It was, it was. Uh, you know, because YouTube is my my household income. You know, my my wife doesn't work, and hopefully that stays. Knock on wood, we're able to keep it that way. But you know, for the last few years, that's been the case. And now that we live in Japan, and she doesn't have a college degree, she probably couldn't work even if she wanted to. And her visa is a student visa, so there's jobs that wouldn't hire her anyways. So like, um, we were terrified because it's not that like okay, revenue got cut in half or views or subscribers got cut in half. All of those three things got cut in a third. I had a yeah. third of what I used to have and it lasted for probably a month and a half, two months, which isn't a long time because, you know, with YouTube ad revenue, the paychecks you're getting are from last month anyway. So it's not like, it's not like I was, you know, dying and I was living, you know, I had to get food stamps or anything. But what worried me is, is like, I have to, keep creating content like this and, and get, you know, I can't pay my bills. I have to get a job. And then that's less time I can put into YouTube, which means less money I'm making from it anyways. So it's like, it's a huge detriment to me. If for some reason YouTube, I mean, they just flipped a switch. It looks like if you look at my analytics, you could see like a relatively, you know, my channel is a very slow grower. So, you know, I have what 150 something thousand subscribers, which is amazing, but that's not something I gained even over three years that's like 10 years worth of growth right so I, I don't my my channel doesn't look like big peaks and valleys it's a kind of a slow gradual sawtooth moving upwards at a very uh gradual angle and then you saw when they instituted shorts and it just went and it was like i mean you could it was insane the drop off that i experienced and it's because my channel specifically i do long form content so when they put out shorts they didn't just incentivize shorter content. They disincentivized longer content. Uh -huh. So in, in this is my, I, I haven't heard, had this confirmed, but this is my personal belief. Just based on just a baseline understanding of how business works, YouTube probably diverted money that would have went towards uh, your typical ad revenue YouTuber and pushed it to a, shorts fund essentially so that people doing shorts had a reason to do it at the start when there wasn't that many ads and when there weren't that many people watching it because they wanted to incentivize people to use this new program they had probably spent millions of dollars instituting coding and acting and you know that's google money so none of that was spent efficiently or intelligently at all <laughs> so yeah I, I assume what they did was is they took people like you and me and they're like okay well, we'll take this and give it to the shorts guys because they need a reason to come in here and do this i mean and i get it from a business point of view but that was a scary time and that was a very very scary time yeah like when that when that hit that was like a month and a half after we moved here and i was like man mm. i don't like 
I was like, dude, I was, I was so stressed out. Mm. I was considering quitting. That's yeah. how bad it was. Cause it's like, like, okay, I'm not making full-time income off of this. And I'm, hey, look, I'm astronomically smaller of a channel than yours. Like I'm only at 16,000, but like I was making a good amount like i mean not compared to my it job but you know enough of a livable wage with what i was making and then to have that mm -hmm. completely just it, it literally there was no forewarning that they were doing this and everyone i know mm -hmm. just immediately yeah. got hit and like so when that happened i was like okay so yeah. what do i need to do and i shifted to doing some shorts content now it's at a point it's it's happened I make a video, I just go ahead and chop it up to 35 mm. seconds a minute. But I hate that because I'm like, I'm doing more work. Why do I need to make a short form video? Yeah. When you could just watch this and I already have the time codes. Right. But it's like, no. All right. Mm. This is what you guys want. Because, yeah, it, yeah, it was scary. That was, that was a scary time. Here, here's the thing. You know, you don't have to be a genius to figure out what they're trying to do is take TikTok's market share away from them, which is not going to happen because it's not the same user base. Like, you know, you, it, <laughs> you're not going to sell skateboards to race car drivers because it's got four wheels, right? <laughs> like, you know, it, it's just not the same audience. The people who have TikTok aren't also avidly watching YouTube as well. You know, the, the, it's not a split audience. You have the six-year-olds that make up the majority of the, you know, the viewer base on TikTok. And you have, what, the 10-year-olds that make up the majority of the viewer base on YouTube. But we they go to the, those platforms for two different things. And their reasoning is, oh, well, we're going to get those people by offering that same content. It's like, But you don't have that same content. And it's also a dirty experience because someone coming to YouTube might encounter both shorts and two and a half hour long deep dives and that's not what they want to do they want to scroll through videos and my wife scrolls through tiktoks at tiktok and it's like six seconds she's gone through you know 10 videos you're not going to get that on youtube you don't have that sort of viewer base and you're not going to get that viewer base by actively shitting on the viewer base you have now <laughs> that's not that's not how it works to bring it back to Silent Hill, when they started modernizing Silent Hill and in Homecoming, they added a dodge roll and they added branching dialogue options, right? Two things that were very modern gaming. Well, here's your problem. The modern gamer isn't a Silent Hill fan and you're not going to win them over because they heard there was dodge rolls and branching dialogue options. So what you've done is, is you've alienated the core audience who would have bought that game anyways. You've shit on them. So... While sales may have been good for Homecoming, we know no one's buying Downpour because we saw what happened to Silent Hill fans then. It, the game was made for... And it's the same thing with our, uh, FF7 Remake. It's like, okay, we know you guys love this turn-based role-playing game. So that's good. So here's what we've done. Uh, the story's completely different. Everything happens differently. Um, it's no longer turn-based. It doesn't play anything like it used to. All the characters sound weird now. And like... you. You know what you're doing is, oh, yeah, we're going to get all the other gamers in. It's like, no, you're not, because those people weren't playing FF7. They're not playing FF7 now just because it plays like a modern game. That's not how this works, and it's the same thing with YouTube. 
You're not winning people onto YouTube because you have shorts. You're just screwing the people who are already here because you weren't going to get, you know, I mean, you have a, a giant, like a Chinese mega corporation that could buy countries hand over fist without an issue. And you, you think you're going to compete with them? Google is spread in so many different directions from R&D to production to YouTube and YouTube loses money nonstop. You think you're going to start gaining money by going head to head with a Chinese corporation that has the backing of the CCP? No. So why not just take the money you would have spent on shorts and incentivize people to continue making quality content on YouTube? And then you have a user base that appreciates you not screwing them and that has the content that they want to enjoy as opposed to possibly getting a single percentage point of the audience that you want. Yeah, because we all know, and for those who don't know, now you're about to know, Google doesn't really stick with anything. Mm -mm. They, they 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 drop things constantly we saw that with uh what is it stadia they were oh yeah we're mm -hmm. all in with the gaming all right here we are yeah. we're done with it mm. so like this whole shorts thing i can see it probably lasting with them sticking with it for maybe a year maybe two years before mm -hmm. they're like okay we don't care about it because you look at facebook and instagram they're copying it too but they're not mm -hmm. doing anywhere near as well with it. And it's kind of an afterthought. And because of how they build their apps and their website, it's not integrated native. Like, well, it's integrated, but it's not integrative in an intuitive way. It's very mm -hmm. like you need to go and look for it. Whereas you go on TikTok, it's like, no, this is exactly what this is. Because this is yep. what this was from the beginning. And, and, you know, Snapchat's mm -hmm. trying to do it, too. And I'm like, you know, who's trying to use Snapchat other than folks trying to get you to sign up for their OnlyFans? Like, okay, I got mm -hmm. a story about that. <laughs> so, oh. so I had Snapchat, and I'm getting these DMs, and like, oh, hey, how are you doing? And I'm like, who is this? And it's like, join my OnlyFans. I don't know you. <laughs> uh, I'm so glad I don't, I don't mess with any social media. I got a Twitter, and, like, even that is way too much for me. I, I I could not. People want this like sort of combination social media combination like instant messaging DM type of deal, and it's like I don't I don't want to be doing that all the time. You know I don't know you in that kind of way. DM me on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like talk to me at me on Twitter. Leave a comment in a video. I'm not trying to spend my day having personal conversations with people I've never met before. You know. Like, it sounds mean. It sounds mean to say. I appreciate so much that there are people who not only enjoy watching my content, but would also want to speak to me. Because that's like, I'm a dork, right? Like, it's not, you know, I'm not a super <laughs> popular guy. So it's amazing people want to talk to me. But it's like, at the same time, it's like, like I'm married and I spend 90 plus hours per video that I create. And I, you know, now I go to school full time learning Japanese. It's like, I don't have time to do all of the social media stuff that people seem to do so effortlessly nowadays, man, yeah. it, it sucks to say, I don't want to be that guy. Like, Oh, I'm too old. But it's like, I don't think I'm at the age where I could successfully use social media anymore. Okay. I was going to say this, bro. Like I I'm at this point now with it where social media for me is not fun. It's just work. And it's like, mm -hmm. it, it's shitty because on an, 
at the very bare minimum for like you and I, we have to have Twitter. We don't need to have anything else, mm -hmm. but you need to yeah, have yeah. Twitter. Like you, you have to have your footprint yeah. there. But all this other stuff, like I see folks that they got an opinion for everything and that's fine. Mm. Have your opinions. But like where these people are at a point of living on social media, that to me is the most mm. bizarre thing. I don't understand that. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. You know what? Honestly, here's the crappy thing is I do understand that because it's constant instant gratification if you make a post and someone likes it mm -hmm. I, I you know i i can admit that's a good feeling and you know I, I i because i only use my twitter to just screw around and talk shit and be like yo do you see how pixelated this game here's how this game looks upscale whatever right um i i use my twitter for like if i have a new video out i'll be like hey there's a new video but for the most part it's just me going like, do you hear about this new survival horror game? That's, that's cool, right? Um, but I can understand why someone would want to put themselves out there because I think with the growing popularization of the internet, person-to-person uh, -person communication is, is becoming less and less of a factor because you can get what you would normally get from expressing an opinion that someone agrees with at high school you know what i mean everybody goes like yeah yeah this guy's right and you get that dopamine hit you can get mm -hmm. that 10 times over in five minutes by posting a tweet you know that says i support this or i'm against that um i, I do get it but it that doesn't mean it's a good thing you know it's it's like i also get why people drink and do drugs every day I just, you know because it's that instant gratification you do that one single thing and you feel good you know, social media is that drug. You, you you make a single post about supporting or being against something happened today. Here's how I feel about it. And, you know, you'll have people who disagree with you. And then you got 10,000 people who, you know, retweet your, your tweet that said like, I'm against this thing. And then it's like, Oh my God, that's more people than I've ever talked to in my entire life. You know, I, I get it. I really do. It's, it's, and sometimes I find myself falling prey to it where I'll make a, a comment. I'll be like, hey, you know, in modern games, this shouldn't happen. And then everybody like retweets it and comments on it. And I'm like, yeah, everybody agrees with me. But I, what I've noticed is, is you get a very quick slap to the face when you fall outside of, you know, the established what uh, what everybody else thinks. And I'll be like, yeah, you know what? And I don't like this game. And I was like, oh, hold up. And then, you know, they're beating my ass in the comments. And it's like, oh, yeah, there's, this is a double-bladed thing. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, okay, so... You know, we're roughly around the same age. And I feel like getting older, and especially being married, and having a life and stuff that you do outside of social media and content creating like there be times do i'll get messages from folks and i'm just like i just don't feel like responding and it's like nothing against mm -hmm. them but you know it's just like mm -hmm. i'm having my time to myself my peace or the, yeah. the little bit of sanity that i have that my my toddler's not trying to rob from me <laughs> Mm -hmm. Or I can just give that time to someone else. And I'm just like, I don't want to talk to you. Yeah. 
I honest, dude, I think that's fair. I think that's really fair because I think, you know, you would probably agree that it's incredible that these people want to talk to us in the first place. Like it's amazing yeah. because here, we're just, you know, these guys on the internet, we're, we're just saying stuff that we think we're not doing something incredibly special. Right. And there's people out there. It's like, yeah, I, I see the way you think. And I, th you know, I think this in the same way, you know, you might agree with this and then they come to you with this other thing. And like, I, I enjoy that. I have a, I have a really fun time talking to people on Twitter, but I also, uh, think that there's a, uh, there comes a point when every person has to decide for themselves where they're going to switch it off for a little bit and then be a part of their own life, you know, because it's super fun for me to interact with the people who watch my channel. And I'm sure there are people who follow my Twitter just because, you know, my dog shit takes on Twitter and they don't even know I have a YouTube channel. Um, like I'm, I, I have a, I have a fun time interacting with those people, and most of the time arguing with those people. But you know, we have good, good spirited arguments and stuff. But you, there comes a time when you got to turn it off, and you got to do stuff for you. You know, me and me and the wife got to sit down and watch a TV show, and we may end up watching four or five episodes. And I'm not going to DM anybody, or you know, or you see, you know, here's the problem that I run into. I've developed since started doing this online stuff. Uh, what I think might be some sort of form of like crippling social anxiety, because when I see notifications and stuff, um, you know, you, you clear your Twitter notification because it says like 20 plus or whatever you clear those all out. And then, um, you go back to the like homepage plus 20 again, you know what I mean? You're filled up again and it's nonstop. And when I, when I was doing online college for a while, I sort of developed this kind of like fear that I would log into my, my little coursework thing. And it would tell me that I had an assignment due and I'd be real, I'd be like, fuck, I'm going to have to do that. Oh my God. It became this like Schrodinger's webpage to me and, um, and ended up being, you know, like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I do the same thing with like my Twitter DMS. And the, the problem is, is that's where I, I you know, if, if somebody wants to contact me, Hey, we'd like to send you this game to cover or whatever, which is not something that, you know, is, is all the time for me. But when it does happen, I missed out on so many opportunities <laughs> because I saw a DM and I was like, oh, no, I'm going to have to talk to this person. This is a nightmare. <laughs> Let me um, I have to I have to capture footage. I got to write a script, you know, it's terrible. But I, what I've tried to force myself to do is I have to spend two days a week where I respond to DMs or something. You know, mm -hmm. the, you know the problem is, too, is they're really nice people who just want to talk to me. people I, I have personal relationships with. I don't even get back to them in DMS because I don't want to see how many DMS I have because I'm so yeah. paranoid. That it's going to be a million. And then of course, when you don't check them, that that's what it ends up being. And then you end up being like, Oh, this, you know, th this game that I enjoyed, they offered me a brand deal. <laughs> I could have taken or something. And I'm, I'm, I don't do brand deals like myself, but it would be cool just to know that people wanted to like that available to me. And sometimes it's for a game I was going to play anyways. There's two different times where I ended up buying a game on steam. that a developer contacted me about like two months before it came out. It's awful, but you know, like worst case scenario, I still get to do the, the job that makes me super happy. And these people do want to talk to me. And that is a forever compliment as far as I'm concerned, because I don't necessarily think I'm someone who's particularly fun to talk to anyways. And these people are just like, yeah, man, I want to speak to you about something. So like, I can't complain too much, but within this small realm of things that I can complain about, I have a few. Yeah. No, and you know, and it's, it's something where like, I look at it like, okay, so you and I, we're friends. 
We don't mm. we don't talk every day. Uh, half the time we'll go mm. weeks, months without talking. But when we pick up, it's like yeah. we pick up where we left off and we go from there. I'll have people mm. that like if I don't immediately respond to a DM or they'll tag me in a post and I'm just like a lot of stuff I don't see just because I'm okay. Mm. So bear uh, a quick rundown of a typical day for me. So since my wife works at uh, school, the school that she works at, so I'm the stay-at-home dad, and I'm with my my mm. toddler from like let's say seven o'clock in the morning to six p.m. at night. So in that time span, and trying to keep this little monkey alive, I'm not I'm mm. not really on social media like that. So like, and then by the time sure. my wife gets home, I'm like, fuck, I gotta capture footage i need to write a script i gotta do this i gotta do that like i'm playing mm. catch up on like my to-do list so when it comes to like mm. getting back to people a lot of folks i'm like oh, shit okay let me let me find when i have time to get back to you so because i i want to devote that t- that attention to them but like mm. i can't yeah i, I just I, I can't give like i'm not as easily accessible to people as I used to be and I'm seeing especially like with folks I know out here in Hawaii they they take a big issue with that and I'm like it's not that I'm trying to ignore you it's just busy (laughs) yeah man you got a kid that's how it goes no I totally get it you know it it seems like there's just not enough hours in the day it's it's awful but again like it's of all the problems you could have people wanting to be in contact with you definitely isn't one of the worst (laughs) it's just you know that person doesn't Probably. And it's understandable too. When you contact someone, you don't necessarily take into account that there's hundreds of other people that's doing that same exact thing at the same moment that you're doing it. Because why would you think that? You know what I mean? Like it's, that's not a common thing for people to think about. So I, 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 I do get it. I try to, I try to approach people with the understanding that you couldn't have possibly known how many times I got that question. Like when I stream, someone will jump in and be like, Hey, what do you think about the Silent Hill 2 remake and stuff? And obviously, that's a question you're going to ask someone who's made a bunch of Silent Hill content. So I get it 100%. And then there'll, people, there'll be people in, in chat being like, oh, damn, I don't know how he doesn't get pissed off. Because, you know, I might get that question 87 times a stream, right? But, you know, there's no way that person could know that I've had that 86 times before he jumped in the chat and he just jumped in and wanted to hear it. So... I, I get it 100%, and I'm never, like, angry or upset at the people who want to get in touch with me, but I am also frustratingly hard to get in touch with. And I think people, you know, who have, who've been channel members a long time or who I keep up, you know, Twitter DMs with uh, for a long time, they kind of know that, too, which is good, because, uh, you know, it'll be two and a half weeks you know, since someone said, Hey, did you hear about this? And I'll be like, Oh yeah, that looks dope. Right. And like, and they'll be like, yeah, no, I, I, you know, I get it. And that's, that's good. That's definitely a good place to be in. But then you also feel kind of stressed because you don't want these people to think that you're purposely being, you know, like ignoring them when, you know, and you're not, you just, you just don't have it in you at that moment to look at that thing. And by the time you do have it in you, you might have 20 more DMS piled on top of theirs. So yeah, it's just, it's a numbers game. And you know, that I think that's probably one of the trade-offs when we do what we do is uh, you want to be 
liked by people and popular and you, you want people to kind of seek out your opinion on things. But the, you know, the other side of that is they're going to do that a lot. And the more, uh, people that end up liking you, the more you, you get wanting to contact you about that thing or this thing. So yeah, you know, like it's, it's out of all the problems to have, it's not the worst in the world, but it definitely is something I think most people who don't do content creation probably wouldn't necessarily get unless they worked in like something crazy like social media management or something yeah um so i you know winding down to the uh last couple of topics i wanted to bring up what are your thoughts mm. as a pc gamer on the steam deck mm -hmm. it looks cool as hell to be honest with you i want one myself here's the thing though I don't ever leave this damn chair I'm sitting in right now, right in front of my gaming PC. And that's the thing. The guy, you know, the tech nerd in me wants that so bad just because, man, that would be a cool little emulation machine. And I, I could see myself playing like, uh, uh, you know, lower end PC games like Alan Wake or something. I bet Alan Wake would be so fun to play on the Steam Deck on the go. Then I think about it and I'm like, oh, on the go. When do I leave my house? <laughs> like, how could I, I can't justify spending the money on a gaming PC that I could play next to my gaming PC? That's my only issue. If 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 I um had to travel for my work, I would have already had a, a Steam Deck. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, damn i I support the hell out of the Steam Deck existing, and hopefully, um, if, if Valve is uh, super profitable with a Steam Deck, and it ends up being an endeavor that makes them a lot of money. The market will open up, and we'll have competition. And you know, in four years, what you pay for a Steam Deck now will be cut in half with from a competitor who's making a better machine or something. Uh, that's my hope, and then maybe that's when I get into the market. But until then, I just cannot justify it. I, I want to so bad, but in my situation, it's like. I would never use it. And I know I wouldn't. And that's still, that's not stopping me from wanting it so bad. Like for me, like I, I, so I've switched over to primarily being PC based. And like, if I get an opportunity mm. to pick up a game, I'm getting it on PC just because I'm like, I, I got this 3080. I want to use it. Let me just mm. dive into it. You know? Um, and I'm underwhelmed with, PlayStation 5 and Xbox series titles that are not yeah. or is you know because like the Sony games are coming to PC anyway so it's like what's the, to me it's like what's the point um but it's cool that I can just mm -hmm. like if I'm laying in bed or if I'm in another room I can just play it right then and there but like I, I'm the same as you in the mm -hmm. sense of I'm like where I don't go anywhere like I'll take my wife to work occasionally, yeah. like maybe once a week. I'll go grocery shopping once or twice a week. I don't really go anywhere, so it's like the you mm. know like I, and it's it's the same thing with like people who say like with the switch, oh the portability is a factor. I'm like, maybe for you, I don't go anywhere. Like, mm. and and it's in, it's always kind like, of been that way for me. Like I've I've never really adopted portable gaming to be honest with you, because usually I just play it in bed or whatever. Which, you know, has its benefits too, but it feels like more and more I would just rather have stuff hooked up to a display. Even though I know the Steam Deck can do that. 
if anything, I'm probably looking at the Steam Deck as like a cool little home theater PC kind of setup. Maybe that'd be fun. Yeah, you could definitely do that with that. It, it's mm. it's interesting too, like how with the, the Steam Deck, the amount of people that have popped up or creators that have popped up within the last year, like a uh, year and a half that's been around, and have blown up. Like I, I've. It's interesting because I'm in a Discord with a lot of the the bigger Steam Deck content creators, and it's funny how. Hmm. And if they see this, and they just like what I'm gonna say. I don't fucking care. It's interesting to me when it's like the narrative that oh, the Steam Deck is perfect for everything. It's perfect for every gamer, and it's like no, and it's. It, I struggle with like the whole, you know, the clickbaiting thing, like getting into like the clickbait titles and clickbait videos just to get people to click on. You know, okay. For people who don't understand clickbaiting is just, it's like you got a store, it's got this sale, like massive blowout sale. And you go in there and there's only like a little fucking small little corner of shit that they're just rolling out mm-hmm. for the pre- from the previous quarter. But, you know, I, I, I see it. There's so much clickbaiting, you know, they, you got people that put out reviews that are a fucking glorified impression that they've only played a game for like an mm-hmm. hour to two hours. I got a review copy and here's my review. Even though I've only played 2.8 hours of this game. Like I, I saw mm-hmm. that, like one person reviewed for spoken and uh, it blew my mind. And this is where, I'm tying this back to one of the other reasons of me considering quitting because this is something that's really been getting on my nerves. Like, mm. I put hours into these games, damn near fucking completing them. And it's like, I don't really get the traction. And it's not that I'm, I'm not jealous of people who do get it. But, like, when the company will give you a review copy, if hmm. I have to abide by all these stipulations, at least fucking retweet or reshare, I covered your fucking game. But then when these people hmm. popped up in this last year, because this is a trending topic, they put out a fucking impression video or impression mock-up review. And that's the review. It doesn't hmm. tell you anything about the game. doesn't tell you if the game is fun. doesn't tell you about the controls. It's, these are our settings. But this is a review. And then the, the same company you, you're covering stuff with, they cover it, or they, they like it, and they reshare it. It's just, it's deflating to me. And I'm just at this point now mm-hmm. where I'm like, I don't like a lot of the Steam Deck creators. I don't care about a lot of the, the current gaming discourse. Like, have you seen this shit with Hogwarts Legacy? I'm like... Yeah, yeah, I jumped into that beehive once. That was fun. <laughs> I'm just like, the game looks cool, and then it's like, there's all this back and forth behind that, and, and you know, I'm seeing in a couple of discourse I'm in where people are like, hey, if you cover that, you're this, and I'm just like, man, it's a fucking video game. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's... It's 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 a it's an amalgamation of two separate problems because you have one problem which is uh, people are just medically online, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they just can't disassociate themselves from this online presence they have, 
And then two, it, like activism isn't necessarily something you do anymore, but it's every single action you take. And it's like, Quaker Oats, are you out of your mind? Do you know the, the you know, like everything that you purchase, everything that you eat from day to day, uh, the shoes that you put on your feet, every single thing becomes in, instead of like, oh yeah, they were doing a sale, a sale on Nikes over at the shoe store. So I bought a, a pair of white Nikes because I thought they looked nice. It's not that anymore. It's like I bought Nikes because I support the sweatshops that people work in or whatever it is, right? Everybody seems to think that every purchase you make and every conscious decision that you make in your life is in support of or against a popular social trend, so some sort of social milieu. It's ridiculous. Now, truth be told, I don't like Harry Potter. I never have. I've never gotten the whole Harry Potter thing. I, I think it's awesome that other people do. That's fun. You know what I mean? Like, I have plenty of things that I get into. I play Stalker. Nobody plays Stalker. And the people that do are out of their damn minds. Like, I get it 100%. Like, you you, you find something that kind of fantasy-wise just sticks with you. That's dope. It's not for me. Um, but I'm not going to buy that because I support one thing or not buy it because I don't support another because that's not how you play video games. <laughs> that's not how it works. There are plenty of, of, of pieces of media that anybody who is, has an issue with Harry Potter... I would love to know that you've never watched a movie directed by somebody who's sexually harassed someone of, of the opposite gender or somebody who has been recorded saying something just detestable or someone who hasn't used an item that you disagree with or possibly owns a private jet and, and helps pollute the earth far more than 30 cars would, right? Like you can't hold people to standards that you're not willing to live up to yourself. I'm not going to call you out for doing things I did last week that I just found out were bad. I can't do that. That not in good faith. I couldn't live with myself if I was mean to people about shit that I get into. So maybe how about this? How about if you are someone who disagrees with uh, JK Rowling, which you're free to do, uh, don't, don't buy that game. And I think that's a, a pretty fair thing to do because you vote with your wallet. And the hope is that if you don't support this product, there'll be enough people who are like-minded like you that won't support that product. And then maybe the next time something like that goes to get made, whatever changes you were looking to get made, end up making it into whatever it is, right? That That's the hope. But what it has turned into is people online saying, but if you buy this, not only are, are you against the thing that I'm for, but you're this bad person. And that's just, that's not the way things work because you have, you have given your money to people who you don't agree with, who you don't like. We've all done it because you, you can't make transactions with people in this world by only using the products that you agree with on a moral level or, or products that have been made to uh, a degree that you're happy with. You can't, you can't live that life. There's no way you could live every day. I mean, unless you've moved out into the Amazon and you cut down your own trees, but then at that point, are you not contributing to deforestation right like <laughs> there is a constant argument to be made for every action that you take being something that could be seen as awful and if you spend all your time focusing that lens on somebody else it's just attracting them to do that to you and you don't want that done to you because you do fucked up shit they just haven't found out about it and when you're pointing the finger all the time you attract that to you 
And then, oh no, someone found my tweets in 2013 where I was like talking with my friends and I said something that's horrible nowadays. Damn, maybe I shouldn't hold the, the, you know, maybe I shouldn't hold the lens up to everybody because that also reflects me. I hate it so much. Just enjoy the things you enjoy. And people who don't enjoy the things you enjoy, that's cool. They're free to do that. There are plenty of people I, I disagree with. Please subscribe to them. I don't want you not to enjoy because it does me no good knowing that my subscribers don't subscribe to X, whatever it is. It does me no good knowing when I play a video game that only the people playing this video game agree with me morally. That doesn't do me anything. Like, I don't get get off on that. I'm a grown adult. I understand who I am. I don't need products to make me feel better about myself. And I don't need this flimsy idea of activism, quote unquote, where like, oh, where I spend, you know, my $35 on a Steam sale decides what type of person I am. The fuck out of here with that shit. I hate it so much. You know, it's weird how like this, I, 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 almost want to say a generation but it's not because it's people from our generation people from generation before us act this way and it's mm. i feel like a decade ago people understood nuance like in the sense of mm. yeah this is not for me all right you do whatever you know I, it, it's like the oh the agree to disagree that whole mm. civility is just gone now it's just mm. and i'm at a point now like like you got more balls than I do when it comes to like just engaging with folks online because I'm at a point now like I feel like if I say anything, it's just I don't know it's it could be taken controversial like you know I've had a history of like flare ups of folks and I'm just like mm. now I just take the approach of half times I just don't say anything but like I, I this whole mm. Harry Potter situation I saw the IGN review from I get ryan mccaffrey or whatever it was and i'm like mm -hmm. listening to his his whole discourse on it i'm like wait isn't that a little hypocritical if you're pro this you just reviewed this game and you're mm -hmm. you're damning anyone who wants to pick it up like i, I don't i don't care. here's here's my big problem when do we start listening to people from ign like when, like that's what? that's another thing people are just not consistent they're you know it's like, yeah, IGN's terrible and they're awful and, you know, they have these crappy reviews. But then they say something you support and you're like, uh-huh, listen to them, guys. It's like, I just, I expect people to be just consistent. You can have wacky morals and that's fine, but just as long as those morals are held consistently. You can't make fun of me for playing this game and then it comes out that you have 300 hours in it on Steam or something. Like, that's, that's not right. You can't do that. And as far as you you expressing yourself honestly, you're making the smart move. It doesn't do me any good what I do. But it's at the same time, here's here's my thing. The people who know me, and this has always been this is something before I even had a career online. This has always been me. There are people who know me personally. You know, other YouTube content creators. Uh, you, there are people. Uh, Susie, G Man Lives, like fucking really nice people who just like you, I will DM and we have fun conversations. Uh, and then that's it. They know who I am. And if I make a comment online, they understand. It's like, oh, well, you know, he's just expressing himself. And then they're adults. And I'll be like, well, I disagree with Jared. Fair enough. 
you know, I disagree with them sometimes. It's the way it works, and that's fun. We can still have an awesome time talking about retro video upscaling or the Resident Evil timeline, and we can agree every or disagree in our DMs all the time, and it's awesome. Everybody else, when I post something like I don't know what I said a while ago that was like super controversial. I think it was when like Elon Musk bought Twitter, and then some guy was like, "This is awful. I have to come in the office." I was like, "Damn, dog, you gotta like." go to your job and stuff that's awful i can't even imagine being that bad you know it's like because it's like i've i've I've, you know i've poured concrete before (laughs) he makes like a hundred and sixty thousand dollars from home and now he's like yeah three times a week i have to go to a meeting it's awful i just thought that was funny and then people like were like oh my god you're against the workers revolution or something it's like i don't care (laughs) i don't give a shit about anything that's happening i Here's what, if it's taking place within my house, I'll have a very strong feeling about it. Anything else is just comedy to me. And it's it's fun. It, this is, look, everything that's happening online right now, for me, is a fun soap opera. I'm like, oh shit, what's going to happen next? This is drama <laughs> for me. I don't give a damn. You know what I mean? You know, like I'm I'm a I'm a grown ass man. I met a beautiful woman who thinks the world of me. And I have an awesome cat. It's like... I don't need to care what anybody thinks about me on the internet. If people are upset with me or if I get canceled, it sucks. I don't want people to think I'm a bad guy. And, and you know, I think everybody wants people to like them, but you know, yeah. I, I'm going to make jokes. I'm going to have fun. And I'm going to like, if somebody says something stupid on the internet, I'm going to be like, damn, that's dumb. And then if you think that that's some sort of post in support of something, here's how about this? Let's lay out a rule. If I don't directly say, this is how I feel. Let's assume that that's not the case. <laughs> that's all there is to it. <laughs> I speak, I speak plain English to people. And if I don't, you know, the, the concept of like dog whistling is huge. Now I don't do that. If I have an issue, I'll just say, yo, that shit sucks. I'm not about to yeah. dance around stuff and be like, oh yeah, I like Harry Potter. But then really what I'm actually saying is, is that I hate this person or I, I can't stand, or I support these people. It's, I will just say that I support them if that's the case. If not, I'm just making fun of how stupid it is that people are going crazy about a video game that has to do with a teenage wizard. Because that's funny, and it will always be funny. And there's no there's no universe that exists where I can be convinced otherwise. Other than that, though, I'm gonna if I have a dog shit take, I'm going to express it on the internet. And then sometimes that gets proven wrong. Somebody in the comments is like, yo, actually, this got disproven. I'm like, damn, all right, because that's how you learn stuff. I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to, to you know, have that deter me from expressing myself because it's fun talking to people about stuff. And then sometimes when I have a, a position about something, it's just inter- it's all up here until I get to engage with somebody about it. And then they say, well, actually, here's how I feel about it. And I have to, on the fly, figure out why it is what they have said and how it differs from what how I feel and whether or not that's worth even bringing up, right? So you sort of improve and, and concrete these ideas in your head by engaging with other people. And I'm never going to stop doing that. And I hope it doesn't lead to people being upset with me because I want people to like me and I want to be nice to people. But at the same time, you risk people not liking you by expressing yourself on the internet. And it, it's it's an issue. You know, my wife doesn't like it because my income is tied to that. But it's like, I don't know, what's more important to me that I, I'm able to sleep knowing that I'm being my authentic self or that I, I can pay my bills. 
I haven't figured out the answer to that, but neither of them are easy. <laughs> uh, so, so, uh, I got, uh, I got two recommendations for you. Okay. Uh, Let's hear completely, un- completely unrelated to what we were talking about, mm. which is because I don't know if you've, uh, tried this game, Broken Pieces. It's a quasi modern survivor horror game that's on uh i believe it's steam exclusive right now I'm wondering huh. if you've tried it broke it does not sound familiar to me maybe i can be very unprofessional and look it up real quick i don't know Ooh, i'm liking what i'm seeing though i mean you know how i am i'm very very strict with my definition of survival horror but that being said I would say that things that are striving towards survival horror are always going to be better than things that aren't. Sure. Oh, this, oh you know what? No, no, no. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so I saw the, there was like a demo available for this. Mm-hmm. I Yes, yes, yes. I want to play the hell out of this, as a matter of fact. This is getting... Oh, it's already on my wish list and following. Okay. I, I don't think this was available when I looked at it last time, but it looks dope as hell. And the Hell other yes. game is... Yeah, I'll tell you what. Let me go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. The other game is Them and Us on PC. Them and Us, yes. I, I have played that. I Well, I played the demo and I bought the full version. Okay, there we go. I went ahead and bought it. Um, yeah, so Them and Us. I, I, I do a series where I talk about uh, like Resident Evil... I call them RE clones. Obviously, they're not clones of Resident Evil, but instead like survival horror games. But I figure since Resident Evil coined the term, I think it's fair. If a game is survival horror, they're probably targeting the Resident Evil experience to some degree. But uh, anyways, I, I, I did that for like old retro like PS1 games and stuff. And then I got around to like the modern stuff. And then Them and Us was always on my radar. I played it and I think that there is some cool stuff going on there. Like it feels very survival horror i think it's a little rough around the edges in a lot of ways too in that demo that i played but it was also i could see myself completing that game like it had cool puzzles i like the combat you know traditional tank controls i i didn't mess around with the over the shoulder mode yet but the uh pre uh the the static camera looked great to me I you know i got nothing but good stuff to say about that one actually have a third recommendation scars above they have a demo out have you tried that Ooh, scars above i don't think so either damn i you know i've been trying to keep on top of this stuff on twitter i try to follow like all the games that are in development and stuff oh damn this looks nice dude hell yeah no i don't think i've seen anything from this at all this is a very like fantasy kind of like interesting no i never heard of this before like i saw like the developer tweet about it uh because it randomly popped up in my feed and i went looking i was like no i haven't seen anyone talk about this and it was not on Mm -hmm. my radar i found out about this like maybe this past week i was like and since i knew we were doing this i'm like okay i need to need to ask jerry Mm -hmm. Or I need to recommend this to you because uh, oh, yeah. the demo is pretty nice. I dude, you know what? If there's one thing that tw- I can say, Twitter has been a net positive for it's uh, developers putting out projects that I would have never heard of otherwise. 
like you know i found out about signalis off of uh twitter um tormented souls i found out off of twitter Alyssa. all three of those games were just fucking bangers and i I just i genuinely wouldn't have known about them if i wouldn't have seen their developers you know getting retweeted around or uh I, I try to follow anything that I see on Twitter that looks even remotely PS one, uh, you know, visually speaking, I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow it. And so far that has not done me wrong. So yeah, Twitter is great for finding out about, you know, there's a big survival horror sort of resurgence that's going on. And I, I can't even follow all the projects that are going on right now. Like there was probably, you know, I might have 25 games that I'm following right now that are just in development that, seem to follow some sort of survival horror format and it's like i know that there's more than that out there and they're probably insane so like i'm super stoked about where game production is going right now because developers have this direct pipeline to the people who are going to play their games it's it's really cool and because i know you like jrpgs like me Hmm. this one popped up i just sent to you on discord it is uh call threads of time threads of time that might be new to me as well dude i i I, do i not know about any video games (laughs) that's what's happening here i guess that's what happens when you only play retro games threads of time now here's the question though is this like an rpg maker video game or is this like because that's the thing I, i I love RPGs, but RPG maker games are like a, a class to themselves. I mean, the, the art style looks really good. It's, it's giving me... Oh, is it, is it like pixel art? Pixel art using kind of like a Euden Chronicle oh. style, which mm. I'm so hyped for this year. I can, I can be down with that. Mm-hmm. So this, uh, they said this is their love letter to Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy. Well, you're, you're speaking my language at this point. Threads of time, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's it's sounding attractive to me. You know, every time I search it, all I'm getting is that PS1 game, Threads of Fate. Which reminds me, i got to play that game too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and the only other RPG I can recommend that I don't hear people talking about, if you are a Breath of Fire fan is a game mm-hmm. and it's so far it's exclusive to steam they're working on it it's called tears of magic and it is that uh, does sound familiar is very breath of fire 3 breath of fire 4 like Ooh, that's a good thing to be aiming for because you know capcom is not oh yeah <laughs> yeah okay yeah, yeah. I, I i'm following this as well um hell yes it has that sort of like pastel almost isometric perspective and it's got fishing i mean hell yes god i love modern day pixel art so much hell yes that's just some of the things like 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 you're saying like that's some of the great things about twitter like you'll see stuff you find out about this stuff and it's like whoa Mm. like and I guess I kind of have started like curating my timeline to like, I can just see certain things like that because mm. like anything political and all this other stuff, I kind of just muted it. Cause I'm like time and place for it. 
at least for me that's my my stance on yeah. in place i don't i don't want to see that sure that's like fair me, you know too much of anything can be negative mm. but um mm-hmm. but yeah like these games uh the ones that are coming up and and the ones like uh broken pieces broken piece i'm i'm enjoying it it's got some jank it definitely needs some tank controls i don't know why it has fixed camera angles and no tank controls that mm. Just a lot of developers fall into that pitfall for some reason. They're like, because people have this weird sort of like, what, what's the word? I don't know. There's this undeserved hatred towards tank controls, and I'm like, guys, it's. I mean, it, they still work. They still function. As soon as you uh, make the mental note, up is not up for me, but up for my character. What direction is my character facing? Up will move my character forward. Like once you lock that into your head, you're set. You're good to go. Tank controls to this day are the absolute best way to handle a fixed camera. Because otherwise, when you run and your your camera is looking this way, so to you, left is left. But then the next camera angle is looking at this way. Now right is left, right? So traditionally how developers handle that is is they have the the um, direction you're holding, maintain that correct course even through the camera change. But if you migrate away from the left, like you say you're using an analog stick and you kind of go downwards a little bit, you'll notice yourself turn around to 180 because now you're running the other way as far as the game is concerned. That's not an efficient way to have a player control themselves across multiple perspectives. But what is, is tank controls because up is always forward for your character, no matter what the perspective is. It's the only control system that has ever been made to handle that style of camera. And I don't think we will ever get to a point where someone figures out a different way to do it because people have tried and failed. It's just hand controls. And they work. They really do work. They're not as bad as everybody say they are. Give yourself... Do you, have you ever played a fighting game where you tournament ready the moment you picked up the controller for the first time of course not give yourself like 10 minutes before you start to play the game proper to run around with tank controls and you'd be like oh it's not that big of a deal like it's it's like controlling any other game people the the over the shoulder uh style that re4 had which was essentially tank controls was not very common at the time but when people played it they're they're like oh oh no no, okay I, i get it so forward is always forward for my character the only difference is the camera is always pointing that way, so it's also that way from my perspective. But like that wasn't common, and it wasn't common the way that you controlled yourself and how your camera was sort of close, tight to the character. But it was something that people were willing to accept. Whereas like nowadays, it's sort of developed a, a stigma, where you hear, you know, um, if the angry video game nerd talks about it in a video, forget about it. That's just the way it is now. And then you know that that same problem happens. Then everybody kind of starts to follow that same idea and then people who've never used tank controls are like yeah they're terrible right you're 12 years old you haven't had a chance to play a game that uses (laughs) tank controls come on they work they honestly really do work i swear to you i'm not just like i'm not crazy or there's something special about me where like tank controls work in my mind if you put your hands on the controller and you remind yourself forward is always forward for your for your character you're good if you if you have like an above room temperature IQ, you can use tank controls. I promise you, we can all do it. It's not a special skill that we've acquired. True. 
All right, man. Anything you want to leave the audience with before? Oh, actually, scrap, scrap that. One last thing. What arcades have you gone to since you've been there? Oh, okay. So, um, interestingly, in Akihabara, there's been this weird change. They they used to have these giant Sega arcades with a big Sega logo on them, and those recently uh, changed over. Sega sold them. They are still arcades, but now it's a different company. I think it's Giga or Giga. I forget what it is. It's some like weird four letter word. But um, there is one. I think it was. It used to be Sega Three that had a DDR. Uh, cabinet in it and they have a bunch of like uh um what's the word uh like like a music game kind of deal like guitar hero mm-hmm. and my my but I've, I've been playing a lot of this one ddr cabinet because it has like a gent metal song on it and i only play that song ever but i probably go to that like every two weeks just to play that song on ddr <laughs> and then um there is another there is a uh crisis is gonna kill me not namco taito there's a taito uh arcade in akihabara as well and there's a floor strictly devoted to fighting games and i go to that floor pretty often because you can just get bodied in the game you thought you were the best at and then you look over and it's like an 11 year old kid who's just demolished you at guilty gear xart or something Uh, you know, I wish I went to more arcades, but like, there hasn't been a good fighting game release in a while. So that's the only thing. Like for me personally, I don't. I play a lot of bullet hell shooters, so every once in a while I'll go to like a retro uh, section of the arcade where they have a bunch of candy cabs with CRTs and old bullet hell games, and that's super fun. But for the most part, I will probably go back to the arcade when Street Fighter Six is released. I'll say that much. Speaking of Street Fighter Six, what do you think of them focusing on putting all these celebrities in the game for the battle commentary? Yeah, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. I don't think it's a very efficient way to spend money. I'd probably rather see that that money go into like balance changes and like yeah. uh, making your characters really good. <laughs> I would love to see that first, but yeah, it doesn't kill me. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Street Fighter Six seems to focus very heavily on. Um, so I, I think what the biggest problem is uh, when when newcomers come into fighting games, they don't like getting just demolished because they pressed a button. You know what I mean? Like if you've ever played Marvel vs. Capcom 2 or MVC 3, you'll know that there's that hit a button die, right? It's like, oh, it, of course. Why, why would I think I could hit, you know, the punch button? And now that's an entire life bar gone. They don't like that, and I get that, and that sucks. But I think Street Fighter Six is sort of aiming to like, oh, but so you know, n- newcomers can come in and play these games. That's fun. I, I like that idea, but I feel like if it's at the detriment of like the hardcore community that supports those games financially, that's another situation like Silent Hill Two Remake, where it's like nobody thinks the dodge roll is what's going to make that game good, and you're not winning over the dodge roll crowd because. You included it in your Silent Hill game. People who aren't going to play Silent Hill still aren't going to do it, and then they'll play other games that have better dodge rolls or whatever. So I think it's the same problem with Street Fighter Six. They seem to make it very, um, you know, four-hit juggles or something like that. It doesn't seem very combo-driven, com- at least compared to Five. I could be wrong about that because I sort of checked out with a lot of Street Fighter Six stuff as soon as I... I didn't really like the look of the game. It's kind of weird 
I don't know. It's I'm not huge into it. The, the one character they showed off who uh, does like graffiti and has like spray paint uh, for her ultra and stuff. She's cute as hell. I'd probably play as her because she is, has the only look so far that I've really like jived with. But other than that, I don't know. I'm I'm gonna play it and give it a chance, but it's not wowing me so far. I would say. I honestly wish they kind of went with the art style, like similar to KOF 15 or hmm. less cartoony Street Fighter Five, because the minute you go hmm. for this ultra realistic look, you're dating your game in five years 10 years yeah and it's like you want your game to stand test time you look at street fighter games with the exception of street fighter one and original two you know people still play super turbo they still play mm. uh third strike or second impact oh, yeah. they still play street fighter four they still play uh five mm. and they still look good i don't well uh four and yeah, four works it's it I think it does. People didn't like it at first, but I think looking back now, it it's not. It doesn't look awful. Yeah, but like going with the the re, and I understand they want to keep everything in house by making all their games re engine. Mm. But I don't know, man. Like that was kind of my issue with like Devil May Cry Five because it's such a radical graphical shift. And it just made me think of DMC remake, which people uh, hated. So here's the thing: I'm going to come out. I'm going to say it. I enjoyed DMC Double May Cry. I thought it was kind of cool. Like it was definitely edgy for the edgy crowd for sure. But it's like if you are going to make an edgy character, that is sort of. I don't know. I don't think it was awful. I really liked how good the motion capture looked for uh the, the dialogue sequences and cutscenes and stuff there's you know there's always that one scene that everybody points to like this is an awful game where it's like dante is like fuck you and then the monster's like fuck you and then they go back and forth with that and yes that is stupid but need i remind you there's a scene in devil may cry 3 where dante rides a missile that hits the roof and like the explosion makes a heart around like can we please not act like the devil may cry games are the end all be all for like cinematic perfection and we can admit that that scene probably would not have been out of place in a normal devil may cry game i don't know man i kind of i had fun with it it was like the it was a poor man's devil may cry so it wasn't as technically deep but it was just as fun to play my only issue with dmc devil may cry was what they did with virgil he was a bitch in that game Hmm. Like I kind of like how he was the, still sort of like. No, go ahead. Uh, well, you know, like in comparison to like how he was in three, where he was mm. like noticeably stronger than than Dante, but I mean they mm. made him that in the DLC that I don't think people bother playing, and it's left mm. on a cliffhanger, and I'm like I still want to know what happens next because it, it wasn't a terrible game. It really wasn't. Yeah, I, I had fun with it. I thought, like, here's the thing. The Devil May Cry style is just inherently really fun, which is why Bayonetta works and why, like, you know, any of those type of, like, spectacle fighter games work because Devil May Cry kind of struck a chord and people figured out it's, like, it's the sort of uh, the depth 
of a fighting game as far as like, okay, if I cancel this input into this one, it gives me frame advantage, which allows me to keep this combo going, but I can't keep doing the same thing over and over again because damage scaling, you know, is going to be different. So you can approach it very deep or you could uh, you hit square four times for every character, for every enemy you come up against and then maybe hold back and then square and or triangle, whatever it is to... Um, to like knock them up into the air and then use your guns. Like you could play it as deep or as shallow as you want. And it's just as fun either way. That's a tough thing to pull off. And I think DMC did that same style of gameplay. You couldn't go as deep, but to be fair, someone like me who wasn't as good at devil may cry games, I didn't notice the difference because I wasn't using those mechanics. So for me, it's like, Oh, I could switch weapons mid combo with left trigger and right trigger. I'm in. This is fun. I enjoy doing that. There are monsters where you have to do that because certain weapons only damage certain mo you got me. I'm 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 down with that. I, I don't necessarily hate it. And they're like, yeah, the story was edgy. It's like, yeah, it was, it was 2010. Everything was that at the time. It's, I don't think you could have made a video game story and not have it go out that way in the 360 era. I remember buying Commando, the modern remake from like back then that shit was edgy as hell mm. but you know shout out to mike Patton because he, he did well <laughs> as, as rad spencer but mm. yeah i mean that was the era and i feel like a lot of this generation that looks back on stuff in hindsight or the people who never played it but they'll look at a wiki and or google it and the first yeah. thing they say and it's like oh it's, this is terrible because this and it's like did you play it were you there in that era? Yeah. Do you understand how society was? It's Dude, just... it's the same thing. It's the angry video game nerd effect. It's it's the there are three popular reviewers who had this to say about it. But here's the problem. At the time that DMC came out, it was the most financially beneficial time to be against stuff because all of the videos were angry reviews, right? They were all like you know, this is a, a shit full of fuck, right? Everything was, you had to not like stuff. And I think nowadays it's kind of flipped on its heel. And now it's, it's cool to sort of, um, be ironically for things, right? It's like, yeah, this game's bad, but here's why it's good or something. And you know, you can't have too much of either side. You need a, a even smattering of both the angry review and the, uh, you know, I'm going to be a hipster and go against the grain with this one. But I think the problem is, is with the angry review stuff, we had so many good games that came out back then. And then like Yahtzee or angry video game nerd would be like, this game sucks. Like you said, it would be a million people who had never touched it before. It, I was one of those people. I remember there was a zero punctuation review of like uh, Lost Planet 2. Mm -hmm. And he was like sort of negative about it. And I was like, yeah, that game sucks. And then my buddy's like, what are you talking about? That game is really fun. Then we played it together. And I was like, what the? I don't know what the hell I was talking about. I never touched it before. Why did I say it sucks? <laughs> Can you imagine like if we had influencers back in like the 90s and early 2000s? Oh my God. Like with gaming publications. It'd be insane. <laughs> All of us were so stupid in the 90s, dude. Like that would be the worst. <laughs> Oh, I mean, man. we're stupid That's... now, to be fair, but God, awful. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's man. my political position: is everyone's an idiot, and uh, I know everything. That's like, 
That's my entire ethos. I think I'd make a good influencer now that I think about it. That's the right mindset. <laughs> you should go on TikTok and have like a, a 10 second video saying you're stupid and I'm awesome. I bet it would take off. Oh my God. Wouldn't that be cool to have that blow up with like 10 million <laughs> views? That'd be amazing. <laughs> Instead of like, I don't know, putting like 180 plus hours into a two hour and 40 minute video about Silent Hill games. <laughs> Uh, so, so is there anything you want to leave people with before we go? I don't think that there's a single thing I haven't ranted about yet, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I think um, do this. Uh, it's very easy. This is my advice to anybody who might hear this. It's It's very, very easy to get emotionally activated about stuff. And I get that that's such a satisfying thing. It's like a like an itch that you have to scratch. But every once in a while, when you're when you're interacting with people online, uh, every once just give people the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes people who disagree with you don't hate you, or they don't want people to die or something, but they just have a different opinion than yours. And that goes with video games. People who enjoy tank controls don't necessarily hate the analog stick or something, right? Like. Just try your best not to get emotionally activated all the time and treat, uh, give stuff the attention that it deserves. So if someone's being mean to you, don't talk to them. That's fine. You know, don't, don't let the internet rule how you feel about stuff because it'll make you terribly depressed. The highs and the lows are huge, but the lows aren't worth it. Make some friends, learn how to skateboard and lift weights. That's my advice. <laughs> Because I've run into a situation with, uh, what is it, the game came out? Uh, Babylon's Fall. So I played it. I streamed mm. it. I beat it. Reviewed it. And I noticed I had a very different perspective of the game. Like, I enjoyed it. But I enjoyed it because mm. I understood the mechanics of the game for an MMO. And, mm. like, MMO, because uh, I play a lot of Final Fantasy fourteen. And mm. none of the other reviewers, they, they were treating it like it's just a straight action game. And it, it's not. It's, it's got a lot of MMO right. mechanics. No one detailed that. So when I said I liked it, I still get comments to this day like, oh, there's, there's another one of these idiots out here defending this piece of trash. And I'm like, did you play it? No, it's trash because such and such said so. Oh, okay. Okay, Warrior. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, there's no need for that. You could be like, uh, here, here. let's take that situation and let's give it the most ideal setup. Uh, he watches your video and he comments, goes, really? You like those mechanics? Yeah, I played a game like that one. I didn't really enjoy those mechanics. But it eats their own. You know, it's not for me. You know, that's, try to do that. You know, like uh, people comment on my stuff all the time. It's like, actually, I hated this game. That's fair. You know, I've, I have plenty of games that I... I love that everybody hates. You know what I mean? So this wouldn't be the first time. And, you know, don't don't let stuff like that get to you. But, by the way, that goes for if you're on the receiving end. If you get a comment, it's like, yeah, this video sucks. It's like, maybe, maybe it's, you know, I'm not going to rule out the fact that my videos can't suck. Uh, try not to, try to let stuff roll off of you. Don't let the internet affect you quite so much. Because they're really awesome, nice people who want to see you do well on the internet. And they deserve attention. And the people who have never heard of you before that are going to tell you to kill yourself on Twitter or something like that, you know, they're not worth your attention. It's not worth it. 
I got a game to show you. Be that nice to people. They'll like. be nice to you. Go ahead. Oh, okay, what do we got? What do we got? He's got to dig through his stack of millions of games. Ooh, Kodelka, a combination of a strategy RPG and a survival horror game. Yes, sir. Because I had to, to add to it. I just need to get the third one. Ooh, there we go. I just got done playing uh, Shadow Hearts for an RPG video I was working on. It's interesting how the voice acting is somehow better in Kodelka than it is Shadow Hearts. Right. <laughs> Very oh, cool man. series, though. And you know the the creator behind Shadow Hearts is making like a spiritual successor on Kickstarter. Is it Pennywise? I think it's Pennywise, Pennywise. right? Is that it? Maybe no, no, no. Yeah, I think no, I think you're right. It, either it's Pennywise, because they both came out as a uh, like a, a combo thing. It's the creator of Wild Arms is making a. Um, spiritual successor and i think it's kind of tied with oh god this is gonna kill me i can't find it because pennywise only brings up stuff from it um yeah it i think you might be right though i think that that is what it is but either way that's interesting that's fun as hell like the creator of wild arms doing a spiritual success creator of 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 shadow hearts doing a spiritual successor RPG fans are going to be eating well for a little bit, unless they suck, and then we're going to be starving again. But, you know, that's how it is for us. You know, people are mad that uh, Coden HD Remix or Remake is coming out or Remaster this year because they're like, oh, they're trying to eat into Eden Chronicle. I'm like, obviously, yes. But at least yeah. you don't have to pay an, an arm is... and a leg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why does that matter? That's people who have never seen the price of Suikoden 2 on eBay. <laughs> I mean, like, to me personally, I don't like um, the sort of smoother backgrounds with the... I like that they have the sharp pixels, like in battle and stuff like that. That's dope. You $400, know? people. Oh, what we got there? Suikoden oh. 2, $400, people. I'm lucky I got this. If I didn't have my original copy, I wouldn't have owned it, honestly. <laughs> Right. I, I I truly would, and I couldn't see myself spending that much money. I, you you know me. I have I have a twenty dollar limit. I just I buy things uh, in lots on eBay, and I don't pay more than so. Each game has to equal no more than twenty dollars, uh, or else I don't I don't I don't touch the lot. But I don't I don't like spending more than twenty bucks on video games, and I usually don't. I've only broken that rule maybe twice for a retro game, but I don't think I could see myself spending more than. $70 for a retro game ever. Oh, really? Honestly, for a modern game. I think the last thing I bought was The Last of Us Part 1. I'm just a sucker for remakes. They know what they're doing. They know I'm going to buy it. It doesn't matter. I mean, to add to what you were saying, I mean, survival horror fans, like, we're going to be eating good, too. Or we are eating slightly good, in a way. I mean, oh, we're going to be obese. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> okay, so just, I mean, off the top of my head, we had Tormented Souls, we had Alyssa, we had Signalis, and those were just three line-em-up 
knock them out of the yeah. park titles, right? And then we have Conscript that's coming up, which looks incredible. Holston that's coming up, which is sort of like an isometric 3D pixel art game that seems like a, a combination of Lovecraft meets Lynch. Like there's some dope stuff coming down the pipeline that just looks, there's Heartworm that's coming out. There is, there might be 15 titles I can think of off the top of my head that seem like they're going to be killer survival horror games. I almost don't think it's real. <laughs> like, like I died like four weeks ago and then this is just like my brain's fantasy playing out on my deathbed or something. Cause it, I, this can't be possible. I've spent the last 10 years talking about how survival horror is dead. And then they're going to do this just to make me look wrong retroactively. <laughs> well, uh, if you need anime recommendations, uh, I think you and your wife would like a show called To Your Eternity. That has become my wife and I's obsession. We're going to be doing a podcast on that later today. She's catching up on it. It's about an immortal. To Your Eternity. Uh huh. It's, it's good. It's got a lot of mystery. Everything mm. sets up something else. Okay, I'll tell you what. Let me let me trade you an anime recommendation. Okay. Uh, Haikyuu. It is a volleyball anime. <laughs> it's a volleyball I've anime. Have you seen that? And it is... Listen, I'm not a sports guy. Never been a sports guy before. It's probably one of the best anime I've seen in my entire life. Dude, it is so fucking sick. It is so cool. Like, they take things that happen in volleyball, like when three blockers jump up and form a wall, and the perspective of it, they make it so anime. These guys jump up, and they're like 13 feet tall compared to like the main character's perspective or something. It's just so anime with everything that happens. That's good. That's a good show. Dude, continue continue it's so good i it's stupid how good that anime is and i it, i shouldn't like it i should not like an anime about volleyball but what are you gonna do it's killer dude okay so if you like haikyuu watch uh kokoro's mm. uh basketball that's good that's mm. that's a really good show Every game. They the just had a movie game. come out here in Japan. That's a sl part of the Slam Dunk series, like the mm -hmm. like old like Slam Dunk manga. Mm -hmm. And oh, my cat's coming in. Hey, buddy. Um, anyways, the, it came out here in Japan, and it uh, outdid Avatar as far as uh, box office earnings go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bud. Mm -hmm. I'm talking to my cat. He's yelling at me. But yeah, definitely check that out. Um, especially if you like Haikyuu, that's that's a really good show. And uh, definitely check okay. out To Your Eternity. Uh, forewarning mm. for To Your Eternity, first season, uh, it's a soul punch every arc. Yeah. Ooh, don't get okay. attached to anybody. You will, but don't. Damn. It's going to, it's like, oh, this this is your soul? Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it does that all twenty episodes of the first season. Like, I, I'm like, wow, that. Yeah. Nice. All right. You're definitely gonna enjoy it. But uh, all that being said, man, it was great having you on. I know we were supposed to do an hour, we ended up doing two, but it's always a good time. Always that enjoy happens. talking to you. <laughs> 
uh, people, if you haven't already, make sure you sub to this channel. Amazing content, educational. I, I, you know, I know you, you cover a lot of you cover gaming, but I find your gaming mm. content to be educational. So you're in that evergreen educational mm. sphere because you don't. I'll just take talk it, man. Oh yeah. I mean, like realistically, you don't just talk about okay. You know, this is how the game controls. This isn't this. You talk about how it came to be, the backstory. You give that information out. Mm. A lot of people, you know, and we give game journalists these days a lot of shit. But I mean, they don't they don't put in the type of effort that you, G Man, lives, my jeweler. Oh my god, his stuff is mm. fucking good. Yeah, <laughs> that dude rules. He's killer, yeah. man. I found that guy when he had like 2,000 subscribers. And I was like, you need 20,000 times this immediately. Right? It's just like the, the, the type of deep dives you guys do, uh, Susie Sweetheart, like that's educational mm. content that's just really good. So anyone wants to learn about the games that you guys are covering, yeah, make sure you go sub to them. And, um, yeah, man, plug anything. If there's anything you want to plug, go ahead. Um, I I think just the the channel Avalanche Reviews and the Twitter is Avalanche Jared J A R E D. Um, I don't have a creative title for my Twitter. I think that's about it. I don't have anything else. Yeah, that's it. Right, and uh, with that being said, people, uh, we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Stay safe. Be blessed. Have aloha. And we'll see you around. Hey, this is David Hayter. You may know me as the screenwriter of films like X-Men, X-Men 2, and Watchmen, but you probably know me best as the voice of Solid Snake from Metal Gear Solid. And you're listening to Hawaii's number one podcast, the Casanova Podcast. Kept you waiting, huh?